We're going to do our Bible reading now. Great, so Psalm 19. For the director of music, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is God's word. Morning, everyone. My name's Christian. Um, I'm a second-year ministry intern here. It's my pleasure to bring you God's word this morning. Um, Let's pray. Um, Do keep your Bibles open. God, our Father, please would you show us wonderful things in your words and that we may delight in you. Father, we all share a deep need, um, regardless of how our week has been. Whether we've had a joyful Christmas or a hard one, Father, we need to hear from you. And we praise you that your word is good because you are good. Father, show us, we pray, wonderful things in your word. We would delight in it. Amen. Now, this year was 50 years since the moon landing. Now, instantly you're thinking I'm copying the Queen's speech. That's not the case. I wrote the sermon first. Um, But yeah, this year, 50 years since the moon landing, um, since as mankind we landed on the moon. um, Now, just before that, in the space race in 1961, the first man in space was a Russian, not an American. Um, His name was Yuri Gagarin, and he's misattributed with the famous quote, which is this, I see no God up here. So he launched into space and is attributed with that quote. But actually, in fact, it was said by the anti-religion leader, Soviet leader of the day, Nikita Khrushchev. But either way, regardless of who said it, many people think that nowadays, don't they? And some of you today might even think that. Like, where's God? Why isn't God more obvious? You can really get behind that. Why isn't God more obvious? And yeah, I guess I can see how you could think that. Um, Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of the time in London life, We're just blinded by screens. We're blinded by the big screens in Piccadilly Circus rather than stepping back, taking a deep breath and just pausing to stop and think about life. We're bombarded with the artificial all the time, demanding our attention, that it feels like we've got no time to think about the big questions of life. Now, if that's you, yeah, it's really easy to agree with a bold statement. Okay, I look up and I see no God up here especially when it's on our own terms. But I wonder if if that is you. I wonder if you've asked yourself this. Where actually have you looked for God? Like, really, really looked for him? 
Now, I want to tell everyone a story of what happened last month. Um, so last month, a group of us went out from church on a Sunday afternoon for something called Gospel Conversations. So that's where we'll meet here and we'll head out into the local parks in pairs to chat with people, chat to them about faith, try and talk to them, share Jesus with them. Now, early on, my partner introduced us to a German guy um, in Green Park, a German guy called Marie, and she introduced herself. She said her name's Ella. Um, I said my name's Christian. He thought that was hilarious. They always do when they find out my name's Christian, and I'm actually a Christian. And um, Mario said that he was an atheist. Um, he was really, really firm on that, that he believed that there was no God, but he didn't really have any reasons for it. So he asked us some questions about what we believe, um, but they seemed more dismissive rather than actually wanting answers. I'm sure some of you can maybe relate to that. And then his friend Maxi came along. Maxi's also German. Now, Maxi was slightly different. Maxi was agnostic. So he was open to say that there's a God, open to say that there's a creator. But he wasn't really sure about specifics. So we spoke about the Gospels as evidence for Jesus. He said that he's God. Now, Maxi was quite hostile to that um, as evidence, immediately dismissed it. And then it turned quite philosophically loopy, far too intellectual for me. Um, but at the end, the surprising thing happened, and it was this. Maxie said, the gospel that I was holding in my hand, or in my rucksack, he said, that thing, that gospel, so an eyewitness account of Jesus' life, can I take it? <laughs> Jaw drops. Um, the fact that he was really willing to read more, despite having dismissed it earlier, he was willing to read more, find out more about the evidence. So we're there, and we hear that, and we've just got massive respect for that, don't we? If I had a hat right now, I'd take it off to him if he was here today. Um, because he's asked questions, he's open-minded, and he's willing to consider some answers. Willing to consider. He's not saying, yes, this is true. No, this is wrong. Just I'm willing to consider. Now, if that's you, if you're in the same place this morning, look with us today at this psalm with an open mind. Because today, brothers and sisters, in Psalm 19, we see the same thing. We see, how do we know about God? But also, how do we know him personally? So I hope we'll see that in these three points. So there's an outline on the back of your sheets, um, if you'd like to follow. Um, firstly, in creation, we see God's glory, verses 1 to 6. In the word, we see the Lord's goodness. And thirdly, in Jesus, we find a redeemer from sin. So first up, in creation, we see God's glory. We'll read verses 1 to 6. So the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. So we join in with King David's meditation here um, with a massive headline, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Now you've probably seen it on some kitchen calendars with a soothing sunset in the backdrop, as if it said with a whisper. And sometimes as Christians, we can be, quite, we can be quiet on what we think creation says about God to the whole world. But is that really the, the tone of verse 1? Have a look down again. 
Because here David, he looks up. He looks up. He sees the heavens and the skies declaring and proclaiming this, that God is the wonderful and awesome creator. He's glorious. He's the creator of all things. Creation isn't silent about this. Now, when we're talking about God's glory, we're talking about the outward display of God's internal majesty and splendor as an awesome creator. In verse 2, the skies, day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Another surprise for some of us, that the skies do this day and night. There is no ceasing in shouting about who God is. So every sunset like this, so this sunset that is from a place called um, Sagres in Portugal, so the most southwestern point in Europe, it's just pouring forth speech, isn't it? It's just like that small little child who can't keep quiet but loves to chat all the time. Maybe some of you can relate. And it's like the sky is shouting like a little child. God is a glorious, awesome, and wonderful creator. And every night sky like this in Argyll in West Scotland is revealing knowledge. It's like the teacher when you're at school. So you've sat down at school, and as soon as the teacher starts talking, you can just feel your mind expanding. And the sky says this, that God is a glorious, awesome, and wonderful creator. The one who made every dot of light in that photo. Day and night, the skies point us back to God. And yet, verse 3, they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yeah, we get that. It's not audible. I don't hear the sky actually shouting at me. can't hear it. It's not audible, but rather it's nonverbal. So some of you might be familiar with this. There's something called an 11-plus exam. So it happens when you're age 11 and you go into secondary school. And it's got a non-verbal section in the exam. So some of you are children or children that you know may have done it. And the non-verbal reasoning part, it's basically got these like signs and symbols um, for you to work out a pattern or a message that it's communicating. And it's there to test your reasoning skills. And yet, wonderfully, creation doesn't do that. You see, creation doesn't pick between people. So it doesn't matter if you're clever or if you're just average. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're an Einstein or if you're just me. You just need eyes to see. You just need eyes to see because creation says to everyone across the whole earth, God is the glorious, awesome, and wonderful creator. Verse 4, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Okay. So in the UK, we're familiar with there being different types of skies. And yet, verse 4 says, yet their voice, it's singular. It's one voice. So it's staggering, because that means that somehow, the cloudy sky in London and the slightly different sky in the Bahamas at this time of year have the same voice. They have one voice. And its audience reach goes to the whole earth from pole to pole. It's absolutely unmissable. You can't miss it, can you? Because the skies are shouting, God is the glorious, awesome, and wonderful creator. You can't miss it. It goes out to the ends of the world. And here's the stunning point. The Apostle Paul quotes verse 4, so yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Paul quotes that in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 10, verse 18. Now, in context, Paul is saying there that the word about Jesus Christ has gone out. 
And from that word about Jesus, you cannot miss that he is the Lord who saves people. You can't miss it. So in summary, we have Psalm 19 here, which says there's an unmissable word from creation that God is the creator. But then over here in the New Testament, we have Romans 10, which says in the same way. There's, it's unmissable in the word about Jesus that he's the Lord who saves people. You can't miss it. But, and maybe some of you here today, maybe you wouldn't yet call yourselves Christians. Might it be that you've missed it? Maybe you've even read the Bible before, um, maybe as a child or slightly older. Um, but you wouldn't say that Jesus is the Lord who saves people. Well, it's meant to be as plain as the sky shouting that God is the creator. It's meant to be as plain as that, that Jesus is the Lord who saves people. I wonder, have you missed the main point, if that's you? Now, let me urge you, take another look. Take another look. Take a read of the gospel. They're by the door, stacks of Luke's gospel, so an eyewitness account of Jesus' life. It's a historical account. It shows you who he is, why you can trust him. Now, going back to Psalm 19, the rest of verses 4 to 6 give us even more of this plain revelation. Because as the skies we've seen shout about who God is, we look into the heart of the skies and we see the sun. We see in the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens, makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Okay, so the sun's unmissable in the skies. Like, look at what God has done. You can't miss the sun as you look into the sky. Because the sun's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. So picture the best-dressed man. He's the glowing center of attention on his wedding day amongst all the men, isn't he? You can't miss. He's the guy. He's the guy who's getting married. And like a champion rejoicing to run his course, like your same bolt lining up at the 100 meters, smiling, when everyone else has got this really serious look on their face, all your focus is on the middle lane four. You don't really care who's in lanes one to three and five to eight. So you can't stop him. You can't miss him. And the sun, it rises at one end of the heavens. It makes its circuit to the other. It laps round and round. You never question if the sun's going to stop doing that, do you? You just, you know it's going to happen. And more. It's not distant because nothing is deprived of its warmth. Picture that cold winter morning. Shouldn't be too hard. When the sun rises and its light floods into every single inch of creation, where the night frost has settled on the floor and the sun's rays start to fall, bringing warmth in everything. You notice it on your cheeks, don't you? It doesn't escape your attention. It's unmissable. And so in the same way, it's unmissable. God is the creator. Look at the sun and see. God is the creator. And that's clear in the skies. It's the same as the sun shines. God has created all things. Now, as Christians, we know we can say that, don't we? We can say that. We say it with confidence. But we can say even more than that. Now, think back with me to Paul's point in Romans 10, which was this. Paul's point in Romans 10 is, from the gospel, the news about Jesus, you can't miss that he's the Lord who saves people. So from the gospel, you can't miss. Jesus is the Lord who saves people. Now, just like the sun in the heart of the sky, 
shows that God is the creator. So like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, the word about Jesus, well, you can't miss who Jesus is. And like a champion rejoicing to run his course, well, no one can stop the good news about Jesus from spreading across the world. Like the rising and setting of the sun, it keeps going and going. The gospel will keep going. The news about Jesus will keep going. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Who can stop the sun from rising? Who can stop the warmth it brings? Well, no one. So just in the same way, the word about Christ, that's unstoppable. It will bring the warmth of the good news to the entire world. So as a Christian, you see the sun rise, and it's light. It beams into darkness. And in the same way, you're confident that the good news about Jesus is unstoppable, and it will bring light and warmth to the entire world. It's unstoppable. Okay, so there we've seen what creation says about God. Now more swiftly, um, we're going to look at what God says himself in his word. So that was our first point. In creation, we see God's glory. Our second point is, in the word, we see the Lord's goodness. So verses 7 to 9, do look down with me. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. What heartwarming words. Uh, what other book can you describe like that? What other book can you describe to refresh your soul, that makes you wise, that gives you joy? When you're feeling sad or sorry, gives you light to your eyes. And also, did you spot the change here as well? Did you spot the change in how he talks about God here? Because in verses 1 to 6, the word God actually only comes up once. Yes, it comes up a second time in verse 4, but it's, it's actually just he in verse 4. It only comes up once in verses 1 to 6, the word God. And yet, here he switches, doesn't he? He talks about the Lord in capital letters, L-O-R-D, seven times in verses 7 to 14. Now, the Lord with capital letters, that represents the personal name of God. That's new. It's his relational name. It's I am who I am. He's self-defining. It's a weighty point that David's making here. Because verses 1 to 6, creation, it just gives a general revelation about God. You can get, okay, there's God, he's a creator, he's powerful, he's made all things. But look here, it's through the scriptures, through God's words, that he reveals himself personally. It's relational. So we're not limited to only know about him from creation. We're not limited to just that. We can actually know him personally through his word. And we're going to see why that's a good thing. So in these verses 7 to 9, we've got six words for, the, for God's word, for the Lord's word. They are law, statutes, precepts, commands, fear, and decrees. Fear being the right response to God's word, to get that he's greater than us. So all of them are the Lord's word. And then we've got seven wonderful descriptions of God's word, of its moral goodness, its perfect, it's trustworthy, it's right, radiant, pure, firm, righteous, all of them about his word. Now, the truth is, as we read, the goodness of the Lord's word, it refreshes us. 
And it is really striking, isn't it? Somewhat exposing, I think, as Christians. We read it that this was actually David's experience. As he looked into the Old Testament law, this was his experience of God's words. And it was also the experience of Jesus of God's words. But there's more. We've sung it earlier, haven't we? Jesus is the embodiment of the word of God. He's the living word, we're told in John's gospel, the living word with a capital W, the word of God in the flesh. So these words here in verses 7 to 9, they're fully true of Jesus Christ, aren't they? The embodied word of God. And we meet him through the pages of scripture, through the Bible. So we can meditate and we can pray these words about Jesus. We can say, from verse 7, the Lord, the Lord Jesus is perfect, refreshing the soul. Or more literally, repenting the soul. That is, the Lord Jesus turns around the soul that has gone astray. We can say that the Lord Jesus is trustworthy. He makes simple people wise. We can say, Lord Jesus, you are morally upright, giving joy to my morally mixed heart. The Lord Jesus is radiant. Giving, he gives light to my darkened eyes. The Lord Jesus is pure, enduring forever. The Lord Jesus is firm and unmoving, fully, fully righteous. Brothers and sisters, I, I do pray that becomes the meditation of our hearts as we look back on this song. But what do you do if you're not book people? If you find it's hard to just sit down and to read? Because for me, English GCSE absolutely killed my love of reading. I loved reading, then had to perform these autopsies on dead, dry texts, and it killed my love of reading. That was GCSE for me, maybe O-levels for many of you. Um, <laughs> but verses 7 to 9, it does transform how you approach the Bible, doesn't it? Because it changes the duty of reading into a delight of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the embodied word of God. And this is really key. This is really key. See, through the pages of Scripture, through the Bible, the Holy Spirit shows us this Jesus. We meet him in Scripture. He's the one who turns our souls around. He's the one who gives us wisdom and joy, who enlightens, who endures forever. And we enjoy him. So, brothers and sisters, make it your earnest prayer every time the Bible is opened. Whatever the setting, make it your earnest prayer. Father God, show me Jesus through your word that I may delight in him. Show me Jesus through your word that I may delight in him. And as we pray that, David turns to prayer in the psalm. So moving on to our third point. In Jesus, we find a redeemer from sin. Verses 10 to 14. In Jesus, we find a redeemer from sin. From verse 10, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord my rock and my redeemer. 
doesn't verse 10 make you smile? Um, where David says that God's word is more precious than gold. Now, I've got some gold bars here. Fine gold. Net weight's 1,000 grams each. So I've got 2,000 grams of fine gold. We use them as doorstops in our flat in Mayfair. Um, but David says, and we can join him in saying this, Compared to Jesus, like they're just nothing. I don't care about them. Relationally, compared to Jesus, they're just nothing. I've also got some honey. Just going to have a quick taste. It's very sweet. Very sweet, but too sweet, but relationally, compared to Jesus, it is just nothing. It doesn't really do anything for me, that last. Verse 11, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. As David looks into God's word, he's warned against turning from the Lord's ways, isn't he? He says that's a good thing. He sees great reward in obedience. Now, as the Christian hears Jesus through the scriptures, through the Bible, we hear his warnings against disobedience. Because Jesus says to not listen to him, well, that's to be like a man who built his house on the sand. That house is destroyed when the storm comes. Whereas if we love him, if we keep his commands, Jesus says, well, we're going to be like the one who built his house upon the rock which stands when the storm comes. So as David reflects humbly on God's word here, he sees the blessing of one, to be warned against sin, and two, to be encouraged in obedience. And as we join him, as we humbly see Jesus in the scriptures, we pray with David, we find ourselves saying, well, who can discern their own errors? Lord, forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. God's good word reveals that morally we've got hidden faults and willful sins. And we know what that's like, don't we? We read, and wow, my heart's exposed. When we read in church, or maybe it's a midweek Bible study, or personally, or just in conversation with another Christian, they say something, and my heart's exposed. Hidden thoughts are revealed. Willful sins, well, they're just made a bit more obvious. But yet, God's word also tells us how the living word, Jesus Christ, he shows God's glory in a better way than creation. Because God's word also, it doesn't just expose our sin, it tells us that the word of life died for sinful people. That is like every single one of us here. It tells us how he brought all of our hidden thoughts on the cross. God's word tells us how Jesus broke the rule of sin over us by taking all our sin on himself, just as the Old Testament promised. So in Jesus, we find a redeemer, a rescuer from sin, the one who's borne all our faults and our sins in his death. He's broken the power of sin over us, so we delight to walk in his ways, don't we? 
because we see the amazing mercy that Jesus has shown us. So any sinner, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, you can call out to him, Lord Jesus, forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. And so wonderfully, a sinner can also say, then I will be blameless. I will be blameless. That is, all blame removed, not a spot of blame counted against you in God's eyes. A sinner can also be declared innocent of great transgression, says David. That is, God declares you as not guilty for every wrong and immoral act that you've done. God declares you not guilty, all because of Jesus' mercy to us. Now imagine how good it feels to stand before God like that, blameless, morally blameless, innocent, declared not guilty. Now if you've never trusted in Jesus before, wonderfully that can be you today, today, Sunday, 29th of December, that can be you. You've just got to make verses 12 and 13 your prayer to the Lord Jesus. Take those words and make them your prayer. And for us as Christians gathered here, every single time we do confess our sins, as we did so earlier, as we do so on a Sunday, and as we do so in the week, even asking wonderfully for forgiveness for hidden faults, that is sins that we don't even know, This is the reality we enjoy, right? Of the end of verse 13, being blameless, knowing that God has declared me innocent before him. And it's all because it's won for us by Jesus at the cross once for all time. Jesus has won it. We can enjoy it. And don't you just love David's humility at the end in verse 14? May these words, Lord, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He knows that the Lord is his redeemer, his rescuer, so he wants to please him. And when we know here the Lord Jesus is our redeemer from sin, the one who's rescued us, how much more can we pray verse 14? How much more can we pray it? Because David looks forward, but we look back. We look back at what Jesus has done. So what's our response to this psalm, Psalm 19? And how do we pray it for ourselves? Well, firstly, here's the first thing of two. Firstly, like verse 14, we seek to please the Lord. We seek to please the Lord Jesus. Our rock and our redeemer with our words and with our hearts. Because as blameless people who are no longer ruled by sin, but instead ruled by Christ, we pray to him, don't we? to be kept from the willful sins that we fight, we pray. So ask yourself this. Ask yourself this question. Which sins do you need to ask the Lord to keep you from? Which sins do you need to ask the Lord to keep you from? And it becomes our delight to please him, the Lord Jesus, our Redeemer, because of his forgiveness, and we know that it's good for us to obey him. To obey him with our words, which are the outflow of our hearts. And with our hearts being the center of our being, of all that we are. So we seek to please the Lord, our rock, in all of life's storms. As forgiven people, we make it our aim to bring pleasure to him, to our good Lord in how we live. So ask yourself this. 
Where can you grow in that? Where can you grow in giving pleasure to the Lord? Secondly, and last point, in responding to this psalm, we praise God and we give him glory. We praise him and we give him glory. Because in this psalm, haven't we, we've seen God's glory in creation. We've seen the Lord's goodness in his word. His word is good because he is good. And we've seen that Jesus is a redeemer from sin. God's shown his glory in creation. He's shown his glory supremely in his son, Jesus Christ, who we know through the Bible. So what do we do? Well, we acknowledge who God is and we praise him for it. We turn this psalm into our prayer and our meditation. It's a good psalm to enjoy on a day of rest. For many of us, that's a Sunday. And because God's Old Testament people, they were commanded to have one day off of rest a week. Work six, rest one day. And on that one day, they were to do this. They were to remember God as creator and to remember him as redeemer from slavery. And we've seen that this psalm, Psalm 19, it gives us words to express that for ourselves, that God is our creator and our redeemer. Psalm 19 gives us words to express that, to pray that, to meditate on, on our day of rest. In good timing, let's, um, let's take a moment to consider what God's been saying to us. Um, maybe you'd like to um, close your eyes, bow your heads, and maybe think about those questions. Which sins do you need to ask the Lord to keep you from? Ask yourself, where can you, where can you grow in pleasing him? But let's take a moment, consider what God's been saying to us, and then we'll close in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Father, we praise you that you have shown your glory in creation. And we praise you that you've shown your glory so clearly in Christ, the living word. Father, we praise you that we know him through the pages of scripture. Father, we pray. Um, help us to be loud where you are loud. Um, where creation shouts about you for us to point others in the same way. Father, help us this week um, to see your glory in creation. But Father, help us to see Jesus every time we open your word. Father, we see our deep need of him, that he is good that your word is good because you are good. Father, we praise you that the word has become flesh and that we can know you, our good Father, because of Jesus. Father, show us Christ in the scriptures that we may delight in him. Father, we pray, make the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.